I'd like to share with you uh, the reason why uh, we are so successful in our product launch and we have a very high success rate when it comes to new product launch simply because we start off with a very important consumer research called focus group interview. In Nestle, the reason why we started with this research is consumer taste testing blind is it must have more than 60% preferred blind taste test before we can launch the Nestle product. Welcome to Winning with Data Driven Marketing Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Waz.ai Market Research. I'm Julie, your host in this podcast, and in every single episode, we talk to industry leaders, marketers, and growth experts in Asia about how they use data to enhance the ROI in their marketing activities. We'll bring you to our speaker shortly after a quick word from our sponsor. Waz.ai Market Research is an AI-powered digital research platform that can help you understand your target customer as quick as 24 hours from as low as $1,000. For those who are having questions about what your target customer think about your brand, your ads, or your product, you are guaranteed reliable findings that can help you build better branding, advertising campaign, and launch a more successful product. Find out more at www www.vase.ai and use promo code PODCAST to get your first 10% off. Now, back to the show. Today, joining me is Anthony, former Vice President at Nestle Global HQ. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Anthony. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? Hi, Anthony. I'm good. I'm good. Well, I'm very happy to be able to share with you. I think your podcast uh, topic is a very inspiring and valuable topic. I look forward to sharing my experience with you and the audience. Thank you. And knowing you for a couple of years now, Anthony, I always find uh, this is something the audience would love to know. You spent more than 30 plus years in Nathalie. 30 plus years. And this is really not something common that we see, right? Can you share with us why do you stay for such a period in one single company? Well, the year was 1981. And that's how I started in Nestle. And my first job was uh, reporting to the managing director of Nestle Malaysia as a special projects director, uh, looking at the entire organization to see areas for improvement and rationalization and innovation. And that seems to be a great starting point for me. So I will share some of the slice of my life through the long journey in Nestle and uh, hopefully this will benefit you and the audience. The first project I was looking at was 
when I realized that our distribution cost as a percentage of our market Nestle Malaysia operation was on the very high side. Why? Because there were 13 uh, warehouses in each of the state in Malaysia and East Malaysia, West and East Malaysia, and each of the regional sales manager wanted to have a warehouse. Uh, it's almost like keeping money below the pillow. And when you need to achieve your sales target, you just deliver uh, the uh, stocks that is from the warehouse. And all this inventory as well as product which are, are expiring in the warehouse is costing us a very high distribution cost as a percentage of our sales revenue. I, I came up with a proposal which was accepted and supported uh, by my boss who is the CEO, but of course not very popular with many of my other colleagues who see me as a paratrooper from a uh, parachute from up there. And I, with the support, I launched the first ever most innovative central factory warehouse in Malaysia. It was innovative because uh, it, it only exists at that time in uh, Western countries in Europe and US, uh, but not in Asia. And in Malaysia, it was uh, way, uh, uh, way ahead of time. Uh, it was a high bay warehouse, fully automated, robotic, uh, palletization, and by building that fully automated, innovative, groundbreaking warehouse not seen in Malaysia or in Asia, uh, we managed to close down all the 13 warehouses in Malaysia and East Malaysia and we deliver from this particular high bay warehouse, which is located among three factories in Shah Alam Batu Tiga. And that warehouse is still in operation since 1981. And I am referred to as the father of the central factory warehouse. Whenever you talk to the Nestle Malaysia colleague, it is still operating, running, and it helps to drive our distribution costs as a percentage of total revenue uh, significantly. And that's why it continued to perform extremely well in Nestle uh, Malaysia. Now, you ask me why after, why do I stay for almost 38 years in a company? Why it feels like only a few years ago when I joined uh, Nestle Malaysia, uh, simply because every two, three years, they gave me a new assignment, a new responsibility, a new country to work in, and I keep on moving. And that's why I have been a sales manager, I have been a marketing manager, and every two, three years, uh, they gave me a new role, including a production manager in the PJ factory, making Milo for Malaysia. And I was there for six months uh, before heading up sales and marketing. 
uh, it's very clear that I love my job. I am very passionate uh, simply because I'm surrounded by bosses at that time who trusted me, who empowered me, who gave me a lot of space to grow, a lot of space to bring innovation to the company. And I love what the company is was doing at that time and still is. That is Nestle enhancing quality of life and contributing to a healthier future for all of us. And so for me, the bosses have been great mentors and coach to me. And the company is clearly what I love to do and continue to do. And in Nestle, as you know, it's like when you throw a baby in the air, the baby come down laughing and not crying. Laughing, why? Because the baby knows uh, he or she is in good hands, is in safe hands. In Nestle, quality is the cornerstone of Nestle. Uh, food safety and food compliance are non-negotiable at Nestle. And for us, creating shared value at Nestle means that for us, for a company to be successful over the long term as Nestle, uh, we should continue to create value for shareholders, but not only shareholders, but also create value for the society and the community. And that's why it is a company I, I, I trust, it's a company I full confidence in uh, because it brings a quality of life and a healthier a future for all of us. So clearly, uh, if you look at the slice of my life, towards the end of my life, you can say it's 38 years. Uh, I spent about six years in, in the global head office uh, where we were responsible uh, to help CEOs and the leadership team in the countries we had 115 countries under us for Asia, Oceania, Africa, and Middle East. 115 countries, uh, 15 time zones. So I, as a slice of my life, I'd like to share with you, even towards the tail end of my career of long 38 years, uh, I, was, I was getting up at 5 o'clock. I go for my jogging. Autumn, summer, winter, spring, even in the snow, I'm jogging at 5 o'clock. 6 o'clock, I am ready for the office. I'm in the office at 6 a.m. And the security guard in the global office is always saying, Mr. Lau is already in the office because he's the first one in the global office uh, that have about 4,000 people. So at 6 o'clock, I'm in the office, 6.15, my phone will ring because the phone call comes from different markets and some of them are ready to go home. They want to talk to me. Some of them just started coming into the office. So when you have 15 time zone, that's what life is all about. I just want to share with you a slice of that, that even towards the tail end of my last chapter of my long journey at Nestle, I love what I was doing and I gave the best version of myself. The reason why I stopped 
was because my mom was very ill with stage four cancer, uh, and I wanted to spend some years with her. Uh, so I decided to ask the company that I wanted to go back home to Malaysia to be with my mom because I was traveling all over the world when my father passed away and I did not want to make the same mistake with my mother. So I came back and I was very, very blessed to spend two years with her uh, 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 at her uh, sick bed. Uh, and then she passed away uh, two years later. Uh, because of the mentors and coach I have in Nestle who empowered me, uh, who, who inspired me, I continue to be a mentor uh, to many, many uh, mentors to start up and uh, scale up entrepreneurs, uh, about 20, 26 of them. And I'm an executive coach uh, to 29 CEOs and business owners. So I continue to love contributing, uh, helping people grow and develop uh, in their business. So, my 39 years of leadership feels like only a few years ago and uh, simply because every year I get my best uh, and I love to contribute to see other people as well as the organization uh, continue to improve and grow. Wow. I think what you, what you say definitely rings a bell. We need to work in fields winning companies that we really align with the vision really have the passion fully agree uh, Anthony you mentioned something very interesting right so every two to three years you change a new role it's definitely sound exciting but as you gave some example just now you went from sales marketing to productions uh, to, to leadership right so I am curious to know what's your view on this so certain people will choose their career choices by staying in the same field because they believe that by staying in the same field, they can keep on going up and up. But it seems like you are, you are, you are going around in different exposure. How do you see? How do you see the the growing in career when it comes to generalists versus a specialist? I would say today's millennials, Gen Z and Gen Y, uh, have a quite a challenging environment. Clearly, they don't see a lifelong employment like working in Nestle for 39, 38 years as something that they aspire to do. Uh, they will probably look for two, three years. I give my best here. I will see whether the organization has got the most competitive pay. I will see whether they encourage flexibility and work out of home some of the days of the week. I want to see whether they give me the right training uh, so that I have the right skill to do the job. Uh, do I have an overseas assignment sometimes? I would say uh, uh, clearly if I put myself in the shoe of the millennials and Gen Z, Gen Y, uh, today's environment is different. I was fortunate and uh, blessed to have a different responsibility. As I said, I cover almost every aspect of general management uh, in production, in sales, in marketing, in corporate communication. 
I was responsible for global CEO uh, role and uh, clearly helping markets to grow. That makes it more exciting, rewarding each time you see an opportunity to progress, an opportunity to bring innovation to the workplace. So, and what is also important is you have people around me that uh, are great mentors, great coach, uh, and I keep on my connection with them up to today, even though many of them are in their 90s, uh, I still keep in touch with them. I visit them if I can because I appreciate uh, the time that they had uh, to, to support me, to, to push me on, uh, to encourage me, and that is valuable for me. And I want to do the same for many others, whether they're entrepreneurs or CEOs or a business owner. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Now I wanted to shift a little bit towards, you know, understanding. So I, you have 38, 39 ex, nine years of experience with Nestle. I think we are all very interested to, to know a, a deeper uh, about, about how Nestle keep consistently build the global brands. So we saw a lot of cases where some brands grown to the top and then they went down. But it seems like Nestle keep being the market leader here. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? I would say at Nestle, uh, even though we have 2,000 brands and over 12,000 products, and some you are familiar with, like in Malaysia, uh, we have Milo, Maggie, but many of the products that, that is sold uh, all over the world, they many of them are not available in Malaysia because we tailor-made our products for consumer needs, uh, specifically specifically in Malaysia. Now, I'd like to share with you uh, the reason why uh, we are so successful in our product launch and we have a very high success rate when it comes to new product launch simply because we start off with a very important consumer research called focus group interview, where we get together our target consumers, maybe something like 20 uh, different batches and many, many batches. And then we let them taste our product and competitors' product, many, many competitors' product. And we call this blind taste testing which means that they don't know which product it is because we don't show the packaging or the brand or the label. We let them do blind taste tests and we let them do evaluation based on taste, texture, mouthfeel, bite, our new product versus competitor's product. And Nestle will then show, after they have done, finished everything, we will then put the packaging beside it and the brand beside it, then they will know which product they have been preferring uh, and uh, rated the best. In Nestle, the reason why we started with this research is consumer taste testing blind is 
it must have more than 60% preferred blind taste test before we can launch the Nestle product. If a product do not pass a 60-40 blind taste test, uh, we will not even discuss it. We will send it back for renovation innovation uh, until it has improved in the next taste testing session. Once it is past 60-40 and it has been tested by several focus group interviews of target consumers, then we'll do a selling price calculation, which is a very methodical selling price based on what price you want to sell, what revenue generated based on the quantity, where you're going to sell it, and then it must have a minimum 60% PFME behind brand building, behind market research, behind uh, improving the product and understanding of the target consumers. So the CEO is the one that approved the selling price calculation. And if it doesn't have a, at least minimum 16% PFME, uh, then it will not be approved because then you're launching a product uh, where uh, it doesn't have the right oxygen uh, for the brand. And the brand is like a living creature. It needs oxygen to survive and continue growing. So the CEO will look at it, minimum 16% PFME behind a brand. And for the next three years, you are going to support the brand to ensure success. That's why in Nestle, we continue to do well with new product launch because we, we believe Brand is the most valuable asset to a company and we will continue to invest and build a brand to make it sh make sure that it continues to delight the target consumer. If I could give you another example, and I would like to do this by illustrating to you an example in uh, Japan uh, where we have launched KitKat for many, many years, and our positioning is called take a break, have have a break, have a KitKat, which you have seen it globally all over the world. And we have used this whether you go to Australia or you go to US or you go to France, have a break, have a KitKat. Somehow we were struggling with that tagline, which is a global tagline, in Japan because they don't understand why are you so lazy that you need to take a break every time? Can't you continue to work hard and don't talk about taking a break all the time? We decided to go and see these target consumers where they are and they are normally sitting around uh, waiting for their turn for the entrance exam in the university. Uh, there we sample our KitKat and we give away free sample for them to try. And we were listening to the conversation that they have with each other. And then we noticed something which is a very powerful human truth. When they took our KitKat product, they were offering it to their close friends, 
and say Kit Kat Keto Katsu. Kit Kat Keto Katsu. So we ask them, what do you, why do you say that to your friends when you give a Kit Kat? They say it means Kit Kat, I wish you success in your entrance exam for the university. So we said that is a human truth that is, can be an honorable brand proposition. So why don't we start a campaign in Japan? Uh, we were there in Kobe, we were there in Tokyo, and we said, let's roll out in every city in Japan. We launched a campaign, KitKat Kito Katsu. And guess what? Sales for that year shot up 45%. And suddenly, the brand means very relevant to the Japanese youth target group. I bring you success. That is an example of how you leverage understanding into insights, into brand, ownable brand proposition, and you build a campaign around it. Another example I'd like to share with you is very clearly, as I shared just now, every two, three years, I'm given a different function, a different responsibility. And over the years, I have covered every function of management that I'm familiar with because I've been exposed to them and including many, many countries and many, many different marketplaces. And I have traveled uh, literally all the, the 115 countries uh, within Asia, Oceania, Africa, and Middle East countries. I was the managing director of Nestle Singapore. Very happy there. Uh, my family was very well settled in. My kids were in international school. And then my global CEO came to visit me at Changi Airport, wanted to have a dinner with me and my wife, uh, which came as a surprise. I did not expect it. And during the dinner, he said to me and my wife, I want your husband to pack up his bag and go to China tomorrow. So we said, what? We just started in Singapore for seven months. And you want me to pack up my bag and go, yes, you can go first. And your wife and your two daughters can join later after the semester is over. And they can come later. You go first, you pack up your bag because China is a very big market, very important to Nestle. And we are struggling with our sales and struggling with our revenue generation. So we need you to go there immediately tomorrow. And my wife, I look at my wife and say, shall I say no? And then maybe join another company after that. And my wife said, no, you love Nestle so much. I don't see you joining another company. You better say yes to your boss. He made a special trip uh, to, to come to Singapore to have a dinner and to persuade you to go to China tomorrow. So after a few days, I replied, okay, 
I'll pack up my bag and go immediately. Guess what? When I arrived in China, uh, I suddenly became responsible for commercial operation of Greater China Region, which is mainland China, Hong Kong, Macau. And I realized that we have already started building factories and making production of a number of products uh, that require me to confirm whether they are the right product to grow the Nestle business in China. Uh, for purpose of time, I'm going to focus on one which I thought is going to be a big benefit. I will bring the insights to you, uh, Julie, and to the audience uh, who are listening. And this is our big uh, KitKat factory in China, in Tianjin. Uh, we built a big one because we said, well, you know, China with 1.3 billion population, they can eat a lot of KitKat. And we also sell a lot of KitKat in many other countries. So surely the Chinese know how to eat KitKat. Unfortunately, the factory was big, production was huge, but uh, the Chinese were not queuing up to buy KitKat. And we run the risk of destroying value and having an investment that is so huge uh, with very little consumption of KitKat in China. So the first thing I did was to to say I don't want any presentation on why this product KitKat is not doing well in China. I want to hear from the Chinese consumers who have bought the product and I want to hear from them why are they conti not continuing to eat and buy our KitKat product. So I started off walking the street in China and at that time the street was not the 130 cities in China. It was first all the coastal cities from Dalian, Guangzhou, all the way to Hainan Island, along the coastal, all the coastal cities. And then interior, including Chongqing, Wuhan, all the way to Urumuchi. I walked 112 cities. And I spoke to a lot of consumers. I gave them product to sample, many, many products to sample that we were producing in China and asked their opinion to give me a focus group interview through groups of Chinese, 20, 30. You give to them and then you ask them for feedback. And let me summarize this feedback on one product which are supposed to be an improvement over the KitKat in China. I, and the feedback was, why are you not buying this KitKat one renminbi product? Very cheap, one renminbi. And the feedback among hundreds and hundreds of Chinese consumers, because it is too sweet and too much chocolate. We Chinese don't like too sweet and too much chocolate and the chocolate give us heatiness, sore throat and pimples on our face. So we want it to be less sweet and less 
chocolate. And we want it to be three times bigger than the current Kit Kat uh, because the one Romambi Kit Kat is two finger only and that is too small. We want it to be three times bigger. So, after spending a lot of time talking to hundreds of consumers, I then called my team in China, in Beijing, and said, technical director, I want you to reformulate for me a new product. Leave KitKat alone because maybe the time is not right to sell a lot of it. We will make it available whoever consumer wants the KitKat as it is. But I want you to make me a one Romambi product three times bigger than the current two-finger KitKat. And I want you to find a way to enrope it, make it like a wafer, less chocolate, less sweet. And we introduce what we call aeration, uh, where we enrope it with very little chocolate, and we introduce a new product tailor-made for China called Nestle Crispy Shark Crispy Shark Chocolate Wafer. Nestle Crispy Shark Chocolate Wafer. If you Google it, you'll find it. Because that product, when we launched it, became a star. All Chinese consumers want to have it. We could not produce enough of it. We run one shift production, two shift production, three shift continuous production, and we build additional capacity uh, in Tianjin and elsewhere, and we could not cope up with a consumer demand. It became the biggest brand, Nestle Crispy Chocolate Shark Wafer. And it became a very successful product launch in China. And if you visit China today, you will see it's the biggest brand, biggest product in the chocolate wafer category. So that is to illustrate to you that when you listen to the consumer, you can innovate, renovate, and you can pivot and find new ways of delighting the target consumers in China. That is definitely a very inspiring story. Thank you so much, Anthony, for sharing that. I, I wanted to visit back a little bit on your first case study. You mentioned when you do product launches, you do a blind taste test, and then they have to pass through the 60-40 test, and then after that, you do the selling price calculation. And you mentioned a word called PFMA. Am I getting that correctly? That is correct. It's product six marketing expenses. Gotcha. Product six marketing expenses cover your brand building, your advertising, your campaign launch, your market research, your consumer research, uh, your trade audit, your market share audit, which we get on a monthly basis. It will cover all uh, expenses on tracking 
trust score, how is your brand been trusted right across versus competition. Gotcha. And you met, uh, you, Nestle will always put aside 16% of the budget to the PFMA and then it definitely resonates with what you mentioned as brand you believe is the most important asset. Yes. And with that in mind, right, I'm curious. So I think there are more and more people do realize that there is always this brand premium. If you're able to establish a great brand, you can charge that brand premium, right? However, it is absolutely difficult (laughs) to actually create a successful brand or create this brand relevance and actually find that strong connections with the target customers or target consumers, right? Do you have any learnings that you can impart to us on this regard? What is important is not the size of the data you get from your research. Even though you need to be very extensive in covering your target audience and making sure that your database marketing is comprehensive and dig in deep into consumer needs. What is important to recognize is after you got the data feedback from the market or con- from the consumers, you need to dig deep into it to draw out the insights. The insights can lead to renovation, which is, okay, I will introduce two more new line extension. Right? All right, I have uh, Nestle Crispy Shark Vanilla Chocolate. Strawberry chocolate, green tea chocolate. That is called line extension. So the insight can lead to a decision on line extension, which for me is only renovation. But if you dig deeper and you find a human truth that become an honorable brand proposition, you will dig into more insightful and valuable, actionable plans like innovation. Not only you have line extension, you have totally a new product offering to the consumer like the Nestle Crispy Chocolate Wafer product, which is a very different product from the Nestle Kit Kat. So that for me is called innovation. Then within innovation, you can also premonize. No one said you consumers is only willing to pay one renminbi. No. When you add value to the product and you premonize, you are moving vertically up the price pyramid into sometimes five times more expensive 10 times more expensive. And I want to give you an example. In like example in um, Japan, we can sell a standard Kit Kat product 
and we can value up with green tea, cherry blossom flavor, special matcha. Then we introduce uh, when there is a purple yam that comes from Okinawa, and suddenly you realize that the premiumized product that's up in the pyramid of the price ladder becomes something like 20 times, 30 times. The consumer is willing to pay for more value if you can add more value and satisfaction to the consumer. And that is an important example I want to illustrate to you uh, that you have to dig deep into your data-driven marketing feedback from consumer and target group in order to offer a stronger and a deeper value to the consumer. Gotcha. That's definitely interesting because as we know, FMCG, a lot of times when we launch the product, usually one of the key criteria is value for money. We definitely wanted to to aim for something that people willing to People feel like it's affordable at the beginning, but usually a lot of the brands sort of struggle when they want to go up the ladder in terms of premiumizations. So, and, and what you said is adding, uh, we need to find out, adding what kind of value would actually help the consumer to, to be willing to, to, to pay more for it. Gotcha. So, I... And... Okay. I am also curious, like you mentioned just now, that it's not about the size of the data, but what do we do about the data? You know, how do we translate the insights into actionable strategy? So when we are doing a survey towards our customers, we notice one of the key challenges they face a lot of time is also not just about the availability of data, but how do I turn this data that seems to be available to me into what they call an actionable strategy that actually give them ROI? So a lot of your case studies suggested you have a lot of successful ROI from there, right? So I'm curious yeah. what kind of learning you can share with us on and to that help leaders on how do they translate those human truth that you call the insights into actionable strategy or actionable item. I give you a specific example that was, that was something we did in uh, 2003 in Manila, Philippines. Uh, we were doing focus group interview uh, like we normally do every week. We have groups of target consumers coming in to taste our product and give us evaluation, blind taste tests. And we were there earlier we enjoy coffee with them, talking to them, chatting with them. And we realized that the ladies in Manila were preoccupied talking about a very interesting subject that make them giggle, laugh, compare notes, touching each other. And we are wondering what they were so delighted about. And we suddenly realized the ladies were comparing the tummy of each other. Oh, you just gave birth, you know, and uh, your tummy still looks so fit and trim. Well, what did you eat? What exercise do you do? And so on and so on. 
Then we realized that they were so preoccupied with their tummy, staying slim, nice, even after giving birth and after reaching 50 years old. And then we said, wow, that is a human truth because it's something that they care about, it's important to them. Can we translate that human truth into an ownable brand proposition? And in Nestle, we always try to look for that sweet spot, the sweet spot where you can build and bring your brand to life. So, that ownable brand proposition caused us to revamp our Nestle fitness cereals in Asia-Pacific region, where we take the pack of Nestle fitness cereals, we design the box, we strip the middle part to, to show that, uh, so that the consumer can see what kind of cereals are inside the box. And we started the 100-day challenge. That is, you eat this Nestle fitness cereal and you do the following exercise program for the next 100 days and then you see how it impacts on your trim tummy. And guess what? That became a huge innovative idea in Asia-Pacific region uh, where we are able to relate to a consumer, delight the consumer, and make the brand come to life in the consumer's uh, uh, lifestyle uh, and day-to-day. And that is a fantastic way of delighting the target consumer. I would also like to share that we also need to dig in even when we have to look for a new business model because apart from renovation, innovation, you can also look at opportunity where it becomes a pivoting opportunity which allows you to, to, to change the business model. And this was what happened in the year 2012 in Shanghai, uh, where we were having discussion with uh, Alibaba. And at that time, we were fully aware that the Chinese government was wanting to encourage youngsters to go back home during Chinese New Year uh, and spend time with their elderly parents that they left behind in the villages. And because of the one-child policy, many of the parents only have one child and many of them are working in the cities and they are so preoccupied with their career and their new lifestyle that they do not go back home to spend uh, Chinese New Year. So the government started a campaign called Hui Lao Jia, Xinian Kuai Le Hui Lao Jia, and it wasn't a very successful campaign uh, encouraging these young people to go back home. At that time, we wanted to know how many 
singles are we talking about working in the cities and to our amazement it was 300 million singles in china that means 300 million of them uh, who were away from their hometown and working in the cities and we said why don't we start a singles day double 11 on the 11th of november Suang Se Yi in Chinese means double 11. And we encourage the youngsters to go back home for Chinese New Year. But if they cannot go back, they should send a gift to their parents to show how much they miss them. So we started pivoting a new business system called e-commerce. And double eleven Swang Se and guess what? In 2014, first year of our operation, Alibaba had a turnover of 9.3 billion sales. 9.3 billion US dollars. Not too many companies can boast that they have a 9.3 billion US dollar sales. And this was done one day only, double 11, a uh, singles day. And the following year, we improved on that program and the turnover was 14.3 billion US dollars. And in the year 2020-21, it was exceeding 30 billion US dollars. Just to show to you, renovation, innovation, but also pivoting a new business system like e-commerce, uh, leveraging your insight that you need to address 300 million singles uh, who did not go back home, but they need to show their love to their parents uh, by using e-commerce to express and send loved ones a special gift. I hope that is a useful example for you. Uh, uh, yes, indeed. And the I often hear people say, you know, two people can be seeing the same exact set of data, but then the takeaway could be different and they may or may not make the same action or actually one may act and one may not. What advice would you give to leaders to, to make sure that, to make sure they increase the probability of they actually translate the insights or the data that they are getting? into actually uh, a strategy or action that they will actually uh, get our eye from? I would say as leaders, it's our responsibility to challenge the process and bring improvement. And one expression I like to use often is, you need to cut tail and add teeth. It's just like a lion with a very long tail. What is the purpose of having a six-foot tail for a lion when it's not going to use very much of that tail because a lion doesn't whack like a dog uh, when they see the owner. Lion is more useful to chase after uh, animals and prey if they have sharp teeth. So, the expression is, as a leader, 
you have to constantly look for opportunity to add teeth, which is your competitive advantage, and cut out what is complexity, simplify it, and make it more relevant, make it more appropriate. So cut out what is not necessary, uh, adding wasteful resource, and use a resource to add behind uh, teeth versus competition so that your success will be measured based on the business that you have, how much is it growing? Are you growing in your market share? Are you growing in retention and consumer coming back in terms of loyalty? Are you growing in terms of your brand health, brand strength? brand shares and leaders need to be measured based on how they have taken an organization from one point to the other. Like when I was asked to go to China, it was where we built the business from literally ground zero. And guess what is it today? China is the second largest Nestle market in the whole world after US. And another example I want to give you, 1981 is where I started in Nestle Malaysia as my first job. Towards the end, after a couple of years, before they moved me to Singapore, where I said I did not stay more than uh, eight months. Uh, one of the campaigns we did together with the leadership team in Nestle Malaysia was we decided to mobilize the entire organization uh, behind a battle cry. And the battle cry in Nestle Malaysia at that time in 1985 was, we care, we excel. We care, we excel towards 1 billion Malaysian ringgit sales turnover. Towards 1 billion Malaysian ringgit sales turnover. Now, retired, and guess what is the sales turnover in Nestle Malaysia to show to you that Leaders need to continue to grow the business and take it to the next level. From trying to deliver our first 1 billion Malaysian ringgit during 1985, do you know last year, Nestle Malaysia delivered 5.5 billion Malaysian ringgit? 5.5 times the amount I left when I moved on to Singapore and the organization continued to grow. It shows you leaders after leaders continue to take the organization, cut tail, add teeth, and take it to the next level through innovation, renovation, pivoting, and the organization is five and a half times 
bigger than when I left Nestle Malaysia, you know, in 1985. I hope that illustration will open a lot of eyes. I think it definitely would. So before we end our sessions talking about brand, right? You, you highlighted a, a few examples there at Nestle to focus on building brands with that actually give values to the customer and the consumer, right? I'm curious, this will be as our last question. Is there any big secret or key guiding principles that you could share with us on doing so? I would say it's down to a very simple advice I keep on saying that is put consumer first in everything you do. If you put consumer first in everything you do and focus on target consumers and focus on shoppers and continue to delight them, you can't go wrong. You will be very successful when you build brands that is focusing on purpose and value. And when you build brands that has got purpose and value, you will continue to do extremely well. Just like when we were in the marketplace, I just wanted to illustrate uh, an example. In Japan, we use a chef called Takagi-san, who was a chef that is very good at adding natural flavors to KitKat. And we started with him a KitKat that allows new flavors like cherry blossom, purple Okinawa yam, a matcha green tea that comes from Hokkaido, and then he will make it into limited edition, and then we will sell it through our shop called KitKat Chocolatory that we started in Japan, but after that, we started in many other cities in Japan. And they will ask me, because we are from the head office, how do you know when that novelty idea has ended? And I said, very simple guide for you. If you continue to delight the consumer, you can judge it based on how long a queue you're getting at the KitKat chocolatory outlet. And the queue normally is 400, 500 people. And when the queue is so long, you know, millennials and Gen X, Gen Y, when they see a long queue, everybody also want to queue up, wondering what are they queuing? because they want to take pictures and show it to their friends in their social media. So the guideline from us, from the head office in Switzerland, was very simple. You keep delighting the consumer with natural flavor. When it's cherry blossom season, you introduce cherry blossom. 
When is pink Okinawa green yam, you launch it. When is special matcha harvest time uh, from Hokkaido, you launch it. Continue to delight the consumer and the queue and line is going to be long and you multiply it. When the queue is short, it's time to pivot and think of another idea. And guess what? The queue is continuing. And we launched it in Westfield in Sydney. If you are in Westfield, Sydney, you will also see a KitKat studio there. It's called KitKat Studio, where we also use flavors which are available in Australia to delight our target consumers. And guess what? We also have launched a KitKat Studio in Mid Valley Mall, and you will find a KitKat Studio there where the consumers are also invited to go and make your own KitKat uh, flavors and uh, whatever you make, you pay for it and you can take back home and share with your friends the KitKat product that you have just made at the KitKat studio in Mid Valley. And that is showing to you how much excitement you can create uh, when you continue to, to delight the consumers. I like how simple, how the simple cue it is to actually give signal around when we should innovate. Thank you so much, Anthony. That's actually, I want to wrap it up here with you. It's amazing that you share a lot of case studies to help us bring home the idea and to give us a little bit more visual about, you know, how Nestle uh, grow to where they are today. Uh, now, I'm going to start what, what, what we call a lightning round on Nestle. Uh, consists of three questions. I have three questions that I'm going to ask you sure. to, to get your thoughts on. Are, are you ready? Sure. Ever ready. Sam. So, uh, question number one, uh, what are the key data or metrics that you monitor when you are building your brand? Very important is your sales. For when you look at sales... Uh, question number one... Uh, it's the first report on our table as a leader. The daily sales report. And it covers all the markets we are in, like 115 countries. How are the sales doing for today, for this week? Uh, and how is the month closing? We look at our market share report that we get once every month. Are we growing market share for this brand in this country where we are having difficulty? We look at, are we continue to grow our marginal contribution? Marginal contribution is what we call MC, which in Nestle at that time when I was, it should be more than 45%. Because we don't want to do a business that is not making enough marginal contribution. Uh, in Chinese, we always say in China, That means a losing business we don't do. We will focus on growing the profit margin of the business. And of course, 
we look at consumer trust, are our investors, shareholders, stakeholders having confidence in the Nestle brand and the growth of the Nestle brand. So we have many KPIs that we prioritize and we track it on daily basis, on weekly basis, on monthly basis to make sure that our brand, our business, and our company continue to grow market share versus competition. Now let's go to question number two. What advice would you give to someone who is interested in pursuing a career in marketing or becoming a future leader? Just remember what I said earlier that I started in Nestle, Malaysia. And after creating the innovation, groundbreaking, sent automated high bay warehouse that brought a significant reduction in distribution costs for the whole company. I then moved on to be regional sales manager in many places in Malaysia. Then I was made the head of marketing and sales. And what I learned from my experience and I like to strongly encourage people who want to build a solid marketing experience, whether as a general marketing person or a specialist in marketing, make sure you spend a minimum two to three years in sales. Have your feet in the street, talk to consumers, talk to shoppers, understand what delight them, learn from competition even if they are tiny and small because you can learn a lot of wisdom even from small companies because they know how to build, to, to, to innovate and uh, great ideas. So I learned a lot from competition. That's why we said in Chinese, you Only when there is competition, you can improve yourself because you're always benchmarking against the best in class and you continue to improve and move on. A sales experience of two to three years will make you have a sense of deep insight in the marketplace. You know what is changing in the marketplace. You know what will delight the consumer. And this will sharpen your insights in marketing when you become a specialist in marketing. So I would strongly recommend that to you. Nice. And my last question here in the lightning round, what is the one marketing book that you would recommend? I have read many, many uh, marketing books, but the recent one, that I just finished reading and I will recommend to you all is called Market Your Way to Growth, Eight Ways to Win by Philip and his brother Milton Kotler. And the publisher is really. And I will recommend this book because it gives you only eight chapters to read. It's a very small book. Is only 220 pages and you can finish it in four hours. But 
each of the chapter will give you uh, insights in growing uh, your business and growing brands and uh, taking it to the next level. So it's a great book, highly recommended. Thank you, Anthony. I don't know if you know, uh, our company do have a book club whereby on on weekly basis, the book club book club peeps will come together on every Tuesday and we will uh we'll discuss about uh, a same book that we we look at. So I will definitely put this book inside our book club. Excellent. Eight chapters here. Gotcha. Excellent. Um, final final questions. Where can people find you if they want to reach out and learn more about what you're up to? As I am on business trips very often, traveling in different uh, countries and different time zones, I would suggest if you want to connect with me, it's via my LinkedIn. That would be the easiest place to get me, uh, even with many, many hours of time difference. Amazing. Thank you so much, Anthony, for sharing with us so many insightful uh, experiences. Thank you so much for listening. If you find this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, please consider giving us a rating or leaving us a review because this really can help other listeners to find the podcast. You can find all the episodes or learn more about this podcast at was.ai. See you in the next episode.